that's when I went back to the Catholic Church and I felt like I was home. So I feel like it was just this little journey I had to go through. Hello, welcome to the Crazy Catholic Convert Podcast. I'm your host, Karen. If you were to ask me why I became Catholic, I would say short answer, beauty, goodness, truth. Long answer, well, that's why I'm creating this podcast. Ever since I became Catholic, I felt called to evangelize. I have stories to tell, and I know other Catholics do too. Our faith is a gift. It should be shared. As you may recall from the previous episode, I actually did this interview around 4 p.m. in the evening on Thanksgiving Day, and then we finished maybe around 5 o'clock. We drove to the Holy Family Birth Center at 6.30, and then I gave birth to Marie Caritas at 7.37 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. So I guess you could say that I was doing this interview in early labor, but it was a nice labor. Don't get me wrong, it was still labor but it was not near as long or intense as my other childbirths. So I may have been slightly distracted during this interview, but miraculously, it seemed like any time I was having a contraction, my cousin Allison was already talking. And our topic is actually fairly relevant to childbirth because Allison is a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic floor therapy. I think she has lots of great information to share, not just for women, but everyone. So without further ado, here is my interview with my cousin, Allison. For this episode, I'm happy to have with me another cousin, Allison. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I don't have a sister, but I have some awesome women cousins. Allison just recently became a stay-at-home mom, but before that, she worked as a physical therapist specializing in pelvic floor rehabilitation. And you actually started the program at your clinic. Is that correct? Yeah. I was a physical therapist for 10 years. I did mainly orthopedic. And then after having my own babies, I felt led to explore pelvic floor rehab. And so I'd been doing it for about three years and I love it. It was definitely my passion with work and all that. Of course, I decided to stay home with my babies, but I will definitely go back to doing pelvic floor rehab once they're in school. So. Oh, that's <laughs> so cool because I just think there's definitely a need for it. Yes. I saw a pelvic floor PT myself after I had David, and I know a lot of moms could benefit from it. One, because childbirth is scary. And for me, I just remember thinking, oh, the pain will come and go. That wasn't my fear. My fear was the tearing because I want to be caught in it when yes. I'm done having kids, right? <laughs> yeah. And pelvic floor PT or rehabilitation, it just kind of took that fear away for me. So I would love to jump right in and talk about pelvic floor rehabilitation. But before we do, could you give us some background information about yourself and tell us what led you, I guess you kind of hinted at it with having kids yourself, but what led you to become a pelvic floor physical therapist in the first place? Yeah. So I think after having Ella, my daughter, she's four, I had hip pain afterwards and I just was like, ah, that's normal. And then I did my first pelvic floor rehab course, and they figured out there was two pelvic floor muscles that were tight on my left side, same side of the hip that bothered me. And the pelvic floor rehab therapist released both of those muscles. My hip pain went away, and it was instantaneous. Wow. And, oh, my goodness. And it was like, whoa, that's really cool. And the class was awesome. The instructors were brilliant. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think after that experience, I was just like, I really want to keep learning more about this. I want to help women that are suffering with pain that don't need to be. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. So yeah. <laughs> I was curious. I know that you did a lot of volunteer work with Heartbeats, too. I wasn't <laughs> sure if maybe being involved in the pro-life movement, I know that meant yes. a lot to you, if that inspired you at all to go into pelvic floor rehab. And that definitely did. And I learned more about abortion, just being a pelvic floor therapist, learning right. about pelvic floor, learning what abortion actually do, does to those pelvic floor muscles. It's not mm-hmm. a natural process. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people that realize when they have an abortion, what that's going to do to your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Birth is a natural process. Abortion right. is not. So right. it's a lot of times women don't realize what thing like pelvic pain, you know, pelvic floor muscles not working properly after an abortion and they don't realize those things. So it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah. The things women don't even think about. Who would tell them something like that? <laughs> Except a pelvic floor PT. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, what issues do you typically help women with? Because I imagine there are women out there who maybe don't even know you could help them, right? Like yeah. they just, they can't jump on a trampoline anymore. They sneeze and they have to wear a pad. So could you yes. go into what all you help them with? Yeah. So I mean, the the main thing that most people probably think about, you know, urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence are the, the main things that come up. And then it, like pelvic pain, pain with intercourse or prolapse, like and prolapse means whether the bladder is falling down or your rectum or your uterus is lowering. Those things can cause issues, obviously, with the pelvic floor and cause pain. And women later in life sometimes have to have bladder sling surgeries because those issues aren't dealt with earlier on. Which is sad because it's like, man, we could help these women. And then when they're in their 50s and 60s, then they have to get this invasive surgery. So those types of issues, constipation, I worked with them with that. There's other things too. but And I work with men too that have testicular pain, things like that. I work with more women than Mm -hmm. I do men. But yeah, anything dealing with pelvis pretty much. Gotcha. (laughs) Wow. So can you tell us what does an evaluation look like? I know it's probably different for each patient, but maybe just a typical mom who's just had a baby has some issues. What does it look like? Yeah, I mean, first off, I start out with the history. What's going on? Is there pain? Are having urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, constipation? What are all the symptoms and what picture? And then I kind of go into an orthopedic where I'm looking at strength. I'm looking at gait or walking. I'm looking at like pelvic alignment. If there's any alignment issues, their sacrum or their tailbone and all that isn't aligned. I look at, and then I will look at if they have diastasis recti with the abdominal wall separating. Then I'll probably go into the internal stuff. I usually start external and I always like consent for internal, you know, before I would do that. And that's going to look at those pelvic floor muscles. Your pelvic floor is like a bowl and there's three different layers. So I'll assess each layer on each side, see if there's any tightness or loss of sensation. I'll check for prolapse if the bladder or the uterus or anything is prolapsing or coming lower. I will check, obviously, for strength of the pelvic floor. A lot of women urinate too frequently because we don't really think about it. So a lot of times I'll talk about bladder retraining. You know, we will work on things to help with your pelvic pain, you know, those types of things. So that's kind of typically what Naval would look like. Okay. 
So actually, yeah, I was surprised myself how she was really a detective, you know, like mm-hmm. the first session, she just took my history pretty much yeah. and tried to figure it all out. And yeah. for what it is, it's really not that invasive compared mm-hmm. to once you've had babies before. It's like, <laughs> not that bad. Can you tell us what interventions you use for these people? So some of the things, which I think I said some, like the bladder retraining, I have the women do a bladder log, how often they're urinating, how much water they're intaking, what foods they're eating. We look at, is it a small, medium, or large amount of urine that's coming out? Just kind of what their habits are, Mm because there's a lot of bladder irritants that can irritate the bladder and cause you to urinate more frequently, those types of things. So we work on trying to get women to urinate like every three hours instead of every hour, things like that. And then if it, the bladder is the problem, you know, everyone's like, oh, a Kegel exercise. I'm like, most of the women, a Kegel might not be appropriate because they have tight pelvic floor muscles and they don't want to do Kegels to make that worse. Right. So when the doctor tells you to do 10 Kegels for 10 second holds, don't do that. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, trying to work on actually relaxing those muscles first, and then you can right. strengthen them because we got to get the muscles lengthened before we can actually strengthen them. If you think about like your bicep muscle, if it's tight and you're trying to strengthen it, it's not really efficient. But if you stretch your arm all the way out and then you do a contraction, you know, it's a stronger contraction. Same thing with your pelvic floor. We have to learn how to strengthen it appropriately. Just a lot of education is really what we do. And then we use like biofeedback units some of the time, which is it's an internal sensor that checks to see if the muscle's contracting. It doesn't look at muscle strength. It just looks if you're actually contracting the pelvic floor and then relaxing. I usually use it for down training to see if a woman can relax the pelvic floor. You know, obviously some core strengthening, especially if there's a diastasis or if the abdominal wall is separating. I do a lot of muscle energy techniques where I get the pelvis. If there's a rotation, I get that aligned. Sometimes the coccyx or the tailbone can be pulled forward. So I actually do some techniques to move it back to where it's supposed to be. So there's a lot of different things that we do. I use a lot of my orthopedic skills and combine it with my new pelvic floor stuff. Yeah, I'm sure you could educate OB-GYNs because they're just like, yeah, do Kegels. But no, you need to relax those muscles too. And that's important or you're just going to maybe tear worse. So yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of education that women would especially benefit from. I just thought of another question off the top of my head going along with that. Do you have any resources in mind or how would a woman seek out your services? And I think I'm afraid to mention websites because I'd rather a woman go to a trained pelvic floor therapist before right. they seek things online. So I always just encourage them to get an order from their doctor, right. you know, OBGYN, midwife, to see a pelvic floor therapist because they mm-hmm. might say, you don't need it, you know, right. um, just yes. get that evaluation to see what's going on first before because that's my concern is if they see, oh, I have to do Kegels or I do it in this weird position and it's not appropriate, you know, that kind of thing. So I was just right. recommend going to the therapist. Yeah, I've heard some women do have a hard time getting a referral for pelvic floor yes. PT. It's kind <laughs> of a bummer. I know I talk him up all the time, but I love the NAPR physicians, especially the Mm -hmm. one I'm seeing right now. He has a pelvic floor PT that works with him. So you Mm -hmm. can just receive it anytime. He says, oh no, if I can avoid doing surgery and just send Mm -hmm. you to PT instead, I'm going to do it. (laughs) So yeah, there's definitely a need for it. I just wish more people knew about it and more 
providers knew about it and were yeah. open to using it yeah. instead of just throwing some steroid at it or yes. saying, yep, that's just how it is now. Mm-hmm. Oh, one other thought I had. After I had Gianna, it just made me realize how much being pro-choice hurts women's care. Mm-hmm. I hate to say I get these vibes from them, but sometimes I feel like they're like, oh, that's a problem. Well, just don't have any more kids. Or like, well, you're trying to make abortion illegal. You know what I mean? Whereas when it's off the table, it's like, okay, pregnancy is difficult. Mm -hmm. Childbirth is hard. So how can we help you? And Mm -hmm. I love how open they are, the Catholic OB-GYNs that I see right now, to just Mm -hmm. helping you make it as easy as it can be. Yes. I was just thinking about my childbirth experience because like with Ella, my four-year-old, I had an emergency C-section, which was kind of like shaking. I didn't know what to expect and I wasn't expecting to have a C-section. I wanted vaginal births. So with Brentley, I decided I don't want to have another C-section. I wanted Mm -hmm. to have Brentley vaginally. So it was hard because a lot of them were pushing C-section because I have bigger babies (laughs) and Uh I'm smaller. So I, I really pushed for wanting that and I feel like too, since I did kind of work with a pelvic floor therapist a little bit to try to get those muscles where they needed to be before I had the vaginal birth. I feel like that was really effective because I was wondering those muscles that were tight after I gave birth to or C-section with Ella, like maybe they were tight before. Interesting. And that's why I get Ella right, out. right. So I really uh-huh. am thankful that I was able to see what was going on with my pelvic floor before I gave birth to Brentley and I right. was able to do it vaginally. And he was an eight pound, 12 ounce baby. So I feel like experience with the pelvic floor helped. It sounds like it was really empowering, yes. right? <laughs> Knowledge is power. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm sure women would find that very interesting too, because I know a lot of women want to have natural babies. Yes. They don't want to have more C-sections and to know that maybe it's their pelvic floor muscles. Yes. Interesting. And how successful would you say the treatment is? I would say if the patient is compliant, then it's very successful, especially the younger population, the 20s, 30s, 40s, typically respond very well, especially if they do everything I ask them to do. Right. It's the ones that don't do it that don't get better. It's like, hmm, imagine that. But usually the the older 60s, 70s, 80s usually take a little more time. Okay. And me, I'm like a perfectionist. I want to get 100%. And I know when you're getting older, it's harder to get a hundred percent better. Right. So it's like, even if I can get them more continent or, you know, just a little bit of improvement, then I feel like, okay, I've helped them. So I've learned that younger usually is easier. To okay. Treat. And I think it's so cool how when you decided to stay home, they sent some of your other coworkers to these yes. courses so that they could become trained in pelvic floor rehab so that they can continue doing the program. So it must be helping someone if they want to yes. keep it going. <laughs> Okay, so thank you so much, Allison, for explaining all of that. I think that really just helps not just women of childbearing years. Like you said, 50% of people you see was pelvic floor rehab. I'm going to switch gears now and ask you about your faith story, which I don't think I've ever heard before. I know you're a cradle Catholic, and I was terribly jealous of you growing up because You also got to wear one of those first (laughs) communion dresses. And I don't think I mentioned this before, but Allison is like a diehard Ohio State fan. I think your brother said he was like, she knows more about football than most guys I know. (laughs) It's impressive. (laughs) And so I always remember you being a tomboy. 
So seeing you in a pretty white dress, I was like, oh, she just doesn't appreciate what she has. So I knew what you were doing was a big deal. I say I had good instincts, just superficial reasons. But anyways, sorry, tangent. Could you tell us about your faith journey? Well, like you said, I've always grew up Catholic. And I feel like even growing up, I just kind of went through the phases. You know, I did religious education until eighth grade. And then I did youth group in high school and all of that. But I really feel like I learned it, but I wasn't like truly in it. Like I just kind of went through the motions. And then in college, unfortunately, I feel like I went away from the church. I played volleyball a little bit and I was in school, you know, I had a lot of distractions. I feel like I just wasn't in it. And then I started meeting some new friends closer to grad school that were more into their faith. And I feel like kind of got me back into it. I was doing Bible study with them and I tried some different churches. And then I feel like it was, was it my last year of college? That's when I went back to the Catholic church and I felt like I was home. So I feel like it was just like this little journey I had to go through before. And I feel like my faith actually got stronger time, more so than when I was little going through the motions because I really understood it and I really wanted to learn it. I did a Bible study with some of my former coworkers actually oh, for cool. for years. Unfortunately, we kind of separated with that just because we all got busy. Sure. But I feel like that was when I was more into it. I've heard that from a lot of people. It's like when you're young, it's hard to just really own it. And it's yeah. like you're catechized, but not evangelized. Yes. And then I can see how, like you said, you had to just take that journey, that deviation to know, okay, no, I'm home now. This is the truth. <laughs> Are there any books that have really influenced you on your journey? I've read some pro-life books, but I can't even remember the names of them because it was probably nine or ten years ago, ago, which is sad because really right now I'm reading potty training books. And Ella likes that book. Actually, you got that St. Francis. She really likes that because her school is St. Francis. I totally forgot about that book. It is kind of neat. I'll put a link in the description so that when you mention these things, they can look them up. I think it was called Dear Pope Francis. Yes. And all of these kids wrote him letters asking him questions. Mm -hmm. And he responded and someone said, we should make a book out of these because they're good questions and he has good answers. So it's really good because a kid can read it, but I thought it was interesting too as an adult. So I forgot about that one. And then the Mother Mary one that you got her too. She loves that book too. Oh, Our Lady's Wardrobe? Yeah, she loves that Oh, does she? (laughs) Yeah, I love that book too. You know, I'm a girly girl. It's Mary. I was like, oh, this is just perfect. And you learn things too. It's funny. I like reading little kids' books because sometimes it just gives you the quick and dirty, right? Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about Marian apparitions from that book. I mean, mean, the Bible would be an obvious answer just because that's the thing I've always been actively reading, you Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. So I think that would be be right now. So speaking of the Bible, do you have a favorite book of the Bible or just like a favorite Bible passage that's always stuck out? I think when I worked at Heartbeats, Psalms 139 always stuck out to me because it talks about the baby mother's womb and, you know, all of that. I can't recite the verse, offhand, but I always remember reading it to some of my clients and I felt oh. like it was really heartwarming talking about the baby and God's going to be there for you. And I just always felt like it spoke to me just because, you know, being in the childbearing age, into babies and toddlers, so I feel like right. Psalm 139 just really spoke to me the most. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so relevant. This is another little tangent, but I just thought it was so cool how Roe versus Wade was overturned on the feast day of John the Baptist. Yeah. You know, the nativity of John the Baptist, how Mary came to Elizabeth, bringing Jesus as an unborn child to mm-hmm. John, who left in the womb. So I just thought that was really beautiful. Thank you so much, Allison, for being with me. I just think so much of you and what you're doing. I forgot to mention this, but how just courageous it is to step back and be a stay-at-home mom for a while, too. And it's just it's really beautiful. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh, well, thank you so much for interviewing me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Crazy Catholic Convert podcast. Going back and editing this, I thought, geez, you can't even tell I'm in early labor, but you can tell that I had a cold a few weeks ago. But anyways, moving on, next month, I will be interviewing another young mom named Stephanie. And going right along with our early motherhood theme, Stephanie and I, we had so much in common discussing just all things motherhood that we decided to do a little bonus episode for Our Lady of La Leche. So next month, October 1st, I'll be sharing our interview and then we'll do another episode for Our Lady of La Leche's feast day, October 11th. So stick around. I hope you can join me next month.